You know, tonight I'm going to start sharing a series with you this week uh, that I've entitled Christian Philosophy. That usually means nothing to most people, and that's one of the reasons that I entitled it that, is because that way I get to define what I'm talking about. Sometimes you use a word and, uh, and peop- it means different things to different people. You know, I went over to England and I found out that some of the words we say over here mean opposite things in England. Amen. And it's the same thing here in the United States. Some people, when you say things, they, it means different things to them. Like the word sovereignty is a good word to most people. And I, I don't have a problem with it if you use it the way the dictionary uses it. But the way religion uses the word sovereignty, I am 100% opposed to that. And yet that has become a term that most people just swallow and they don't even really know what it means. I think it's the NIV translation that took the phrase Lord God Almighty that's in the King James and translated it over 300 times sovereign Lord and totally has skewed the meaning of a lot of the verses by doing that. And so anyway, there's a lot of confusion about different words. So the word philosophy, I'm taking this from uh, Colossians chapter 2 Verse 8. Let's just turn over and start with these passages of Scripture. The word philosophy and then philosophers are only used twice in Scripture. But one of them is right here in Colossians chapter 2. The background of this, Paul was writing to the Colossians. These were people that you can tell by chapter 2 verse 1 and a few other verses in this uh, Uh, in this letter, he had never personally ministered to these people. These were converts of a person who was a convert of the apostle Paul's and he had heard about their salvation. And so he was writing to them to make sure that they had got the message correct, that they hadn't left anything out. And he, in the second chapter here is talking about expressing a desire that these people not come behind, that they not have missed out on anything. And he's warning them about things that they need to know for basic Christianity. And I tell you, this applies to us today. A lot of Christians have missed out on basic Christianity. We don't understand the very foundational truths. And so this, the background of this, if you understand it, even makes this more powerful. But let me just skip down and for time's sake, jump down to verse 8. This is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. And the Apostle Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Now this word beware, it literally is a, it's a compound word that means be war is what it's talking about. Be and, and the word uh, where in the uh, Greek was talking about war. Be at war or it's talking, it's a military term to be on guard, to be alert, lest any man spoil you. And the word spoil here isn't talking about like food spoils or something like this, but this is talking about an enemy coming and conquering you and taking spoils, stripping you of everything of value. And so this is saying, be on guard, be aware that lest any man spoil you, strip the things that God has given to you, that you miss out on what God has ordained for you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now. I'm asking you to do this in your heart. I don't want you to get embarrassed. But how many of you in here, just in your heart, feel like that you have something that the Lord has purchased for you that you haven't appropriated? 
that isn't working in your life, such as healing, such as deliverance, joy, prosperity, peace, anointing, boldness, and on and on you could go. The average Christian today has been spoiled. Somebody has stripped from us something that Jesus has provided for us. And the average Christian is not experiencing God's best. Why is that? Well, we come up with a million different answers. The one that I was referring to earlier is religion teaches us that God is sovereign and it's God's will that you be a dud. (laughs) That God's the one that made you the way you are. It's God's punishment. It's because you haven't done this and God won't bless you and God won't heal you because, and that's that kind of stuff. And man, I tell you, that is wrong. I hate that doctrine worse than probably anything else. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. And yet this is what a tremendous amount of people think that if you aren't experiencing God's best, it's because you haven't earned it. You haven't measured up and therefore God is punishing you or withholding something from you because you don't deserve it. That's wrong philosophy. That's wrong thinking. But that is a philosophy. That's a way of thinking. How is it that Satan keeps you from experiencing this? Notice it says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Now again, the word philosophy is a word that most people today don't relate to. They think, well, that's talking about Aristotle, Plato. They were philosophers. They had philosophies, but we don't have philosophies today. Every one of you have a philosophy, have multiple philosophies. The word philosophy, I could go into great detail on this. Let me just boil it down to its simple terms. It's not individual thoughts, but it's a way of thinking. It's a paradigm. It's an outlook. It's your worldview. It's a lens through which you view everything. And whether you know it or not, you have a philosophy. You have multiple philosophies. A pessimist is a philosophy. An optimist is a person with a philosophy. It's a way of looking at things. You could take people who are a pessimist and optimist and set them side by side, expose them to an identical situation. And they would respond differently, not because the circumstances are different, not because of anything in the natural, but because of the way they process information. They have a philosophy, a way of looking at things. I know what I'm saying right here is strange to some of you because, again, our society today is moving away from personal responsibility And it's not you who controls things, it's other things, and that we need the government to do this for us. Don't get mad at me and let me have it. I'm just using this as an example. If you've been awake the last week, or or two, I forget when it was, but you know, President Obama made this statement about if you've got a business that's successful, you, you didn't do it, other people did it. In other words, you aren't responsible. It's just luck. It just, you got a break. You got a chance. And see, our whole philosophy in this society is moving away from people being responsible for their own things. And it's not my fault. It's that woman that you gave me. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's that woman that you gave me. That's the reason I did what I did. And today it's, You don't understand. I was abused when I was a child. 
That was 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Get over it. Pull your thumb out of your mouth. And some people see immediately begin to get offended. Well, you aren't operating in compassion. I am operating in compassion. I'm telling you, it is illogical for you to let something that happened 40 years ago bother you today. That's wrong. And yet our philosophy in this society is that we are looking for crutches, for excuses, for reasons why we aren't succeeding. And we will point in any direction, in every direction, except ourselves. And we'll say, you don't understand. I was raised in a dysfunctional family. All of us were raised in a dysfunctional family. It just depends on how you define dysfunction. You know, people were raised in poverty. We were talking about this at lunch or yesterday, I think, at supper. And, uh, you know, David was raised in poverty. And who else? Anyway, somebody was talking about their father was raised in poverty and as a result went the exact opposite direction. But just because they were raised in poverty didn't mean that they had to grow up in poverty. They went the other direction. They took that as a motivation, as an incentive to get out of it. And they became very prosperous. But yet there's a lot of people today that because you've had a problem, then that just is justification for you being a jerk. (laughs) What I'm saying is that's a philosophy. You think that circumstance, you think that you're no different than a dog or a cat. You're an evolved animal that is a product of your environment. And you know what? That's true if you accept that philosophy. If you believe that you aren't made in the image of God, if you don't believe that you can become a new creature and that all things are possible through Christ, I can do all things. If you have a wrong philosophy and if you say, but I can't do anything, you don't understand. I was born with the wrong colored skin. I don't have an education. I was born on this side of the tracks. I had this. If you buy into those lies, then that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you believe all things are possible to him that believes, you can either see yourself as a victim or a victor. And people who are saying, it's not my fault. It's because this happened to me. It's because this happened to my ancestors a hundred years ago that I'm, that I'm uh, deprived and I'm having these problems. If you have that philosophy, you'll be a victim the rest of your life. I'm preaching better than you're listening. And did you know there was a time in this nation when Christianity made our philosophy? I just wrote an article that'll be coming out for the November partners, if you're a partner with us, and I quote dozens and dozens of people, Benjamin Rush, Thomas Jefferson, um, um, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and they link our republic to Christianity and say they are inseparably linked. If America ever ceases to be a Christian nation, it will cease to have freedom. And that's exactly what's happening because morality has been eroded and it has affected the philosophy. Philosophy is a way of thinking, not just individual thoughts. People can get a truth that by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. And they can know what the scripture says. They can quote that. 1 Peter 2, 24, Isaiah 53, 4, Matthew 8, 17. They can quote these scriptures 
but it doesn't change their philosophy. Their philosophy is that cancer is incurable. These things are hard. Oh, this is terrible. I'm just nobody. And who am I to sit here and believe in healing? See, that's a philosophy that you are nothing and nobody. But once you get the word of God and find out greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Once you find out that Jesus has been exalted above every name, that includes the name of cancer, the name of AIDS, the name of anything. And once you develop a Christian philosophy, you don't deny that sickness exists. You just deny that it has any power to exist in your body. And you get a total different outlook. And you get a superiority attitude to where I will not be sick. I will not let sickness rule in my body. And see what I'm saying right here. There are many of you in here, and I'm saying this in love. I just hadn't got time to beat around the bush. I'm telling you, I'm saying this because I love you and I'm trying to tell you the truth. But there are many of you in here that see yourself as weak and frail and sickness comes against you. I've had a dozen people tonight say, but I've got this problem and I had this pain and I, and I usually don't say it. I'll say it in a group so that I'm not directing this at any one person and you think I'm getting on your case. But I just always think, why did you let that happen? And people look at me like, I didn't let it happen. I didn't ask for this. You may not have asked for it, but you have a philosophy that says I'm only human and it's flu season. (laughs) And I mean, everybody gets sick and I, I, I can't help it. This person sneezed on me. And so it's just natural. I've got to have the flu. That is a lie. There isn't a scripture that says that no plague will come nigh your dwelling except during flu season. (laughs) Except epidemics, except plagues. If you got the word of God and let it influence you, you'd get to a place. I don't care what season it is. I don't care how old you are. Your body doesn't have to start doing all of these weird things. But see, we have a philosophy, but I'm only human. I'm just a man. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I've been filled with the power of God. And because of that, I should expect different results than a person that doesn't have God living on the inside of them. Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of every born again believer. It's not out there in the heavens someplace. It's in me. It doesn't automatically work. You got to believe and learn how to receive it. But I believe that every true born again believer has the same power on the inside of them that raised Christ from the dead. That ought to be enough to deal with the flu. That ought to be enough to get you over your hangnail, over some little back problem. But the average person, but I'm only human. I'm not only human. That's a wrong philosophy. You know, I went to um, Poland back during the 80s before the Berlin Wall came down. And they were still living under communism. And I was over there and I mean, everywhere I went, people would just point at me and go, American, American. And of course I had my boots on and I kind of talk with a little bit of an accent. (laughs) 
And so I just decided I was going to go out and be incognito. And I borrowed clothes. I borrowed shoes. I borrowed Polish clothes from the guy that I was with. I went out and stood on the street corner and I didn't say a word. I didn't open my mouth. And did you know within five minutes, I had a group of people around me going, American, American, American. (laughs) And I asked this guy that I was with, I said, how do these people know I'm an American? And he says, it's your attitude. And I said, I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I said, what are you talking about? He says, you don't understand. These people have lived under communism for 70 years and they're constantly being interrogated. And there's the KGB and you, you learn certain things. He says, people never look at another person eyeball to eyeball because you can tell what's on the inside of a person by looking in their eyes. So they never make eye contact. When they walk down the street, they have body language. They stoop over and show submission. Some of you don't understand what I'm talking about, but I'm telling you, this is absolutely true. These people that were raised under communism, they were fearful. They wouldn't make eye contact. You never looked up. You never smiled at a person. You never waved at, you didn't do anything to draw attention to yourself. In other words, they had a subjugated, oppressed person's attitude. And it showed in their actions, in their dress, everything was drab. When you left West Germany and went into East Germany, it's just like you turned it from a color set to black and white. There were buildings that had yellow and blue and green on it in West Germany. You go through Checkpoint Charlie and everything is absolute concrete. No color, no nothing. Drab, depressed. It was just like turning the set. There was, an, there was an attitude that permeated everything. And that guy told me, he says, you could take a bum off the street in the United States and put him in Poland and people would know he's an American because he's got a can-do attitude. And some of you think, that, that's weird. You just haven't been around. I'm telling you, Americans have an attitude. You can ask right here, Ashley and Carly, they're from England and they now live over here. But there's a different attitude in the United States and it's not all good. I'm not saying that this is the right attitude, but I'm just saying that whether you realize it or not, you have developed an attitude. You've got a philosophy. You see things through a paradigm, through a glass. You have a way of looking at things. And here's what I'm wanting to deal with this week is that the vast majority of us have a philosophy that is not a Christian philosophy. It's not based on the Bible. Most of us have had our attitude, our philosophy given to us, taught to us before you got born again. As a young child, you were raised with a philosophy and very, very few people have a Christian philosophy, one that is based totally on the Word of God. And I know some of you may think, well, that's not true. If I just had time, I'm going to be spending five sessions talking about this. And I can guarantee you, I am going to challenge a lot of your philosophy. And if I had more time, I I could get even deeper into this. And I could challenge you on all kinds of levels. But very few people, even Christians have a Christian-based philosophy. We let this world influence us. And I believe this generation is probably worse 
in this area than any generation of Christians that has ever lived because we have so much access to outside information. We have the, the sewage of the world piped into our house, houses and we pay dearly for it. And it affects your philosophy. It affects the way you think. And most of us are being brainwashed and don't even know it. And so we need to go to the Word of God and check what the Word of God has to say about things and make sure that we have a Christian paradigm, philosophy, worldview, outlook. And I promise you, how you think at your heart level determines your actions. This is the reason that Wendell and I were talking about how important Bible college is because people don't realize the way that you get change isn't by praying for change and asking God to help you win the lottery or something like that. You know, the statistics show that people who win the lottery within 10 years are worse off than they were before they won the lottery. I forget the exact uh, numbers of that, but it's like 80 or 90% are worse off. Why? Because the Bible says, Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The way you think in your heart determines your prosperity, not how much money you have coming in. How much money you have coming in is a byproduct of the way you think. It is not what causes the way you think. Thank you for that silence. Amen. Some of you are thinking, now that's not true. It is true. As you think in your heart, that is the way your life is. Some of you think, oh, I, I did not think that my life was going to be this way. You may not have wanted your life to be that way. You may have been praying and asking for different results, but your life has gone the direction of your dominant thought. That's what the Word of God teaches. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word transform, there's the Greek word metamorpho. It's a word we get metamorphosis from. And if you want to change like a worm spins a cocoon and then comes out a butterfly, if you want to go from something that is ugly and earthbound to something that's beautiful and flies, you do it by the renewing of your mind. Most Christians aren't renewing their mind. They're praying. They're begging God. And if God doesn't answer their pleas, then they call a prayer chain and try and get a hundred people to put pressure on God. And they're trying to get their life to change by prayer. Or they come to a meeting like this and everybody wants me to lay hands on them and just wave my hand over you and solve all of your problems. I told two or three people in line here tonight, I said, I can't pray for that. One person said, would you bless me? And I said, man, you're already blessed. What am I going to say over you that God hasn't already said? Your problem isn't that you aren't blessed. You just don't believe. Amen. But see, people are wanting to get some change somehow or another. They're wanting to get healed. They're wanting this. They're wanting that without changing the way they think. I can guarantee you if you're sick, you've been thinking sick. That usually goes over about like that. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, now, wait a minute. I did not think cancer. No, you may not have been thinking, I want cancer. But you were thinking that you're only human and that you were afraid of cancer. You elevated cancer above the scripture that says, no plague will come nigh your dwelling. 
that he heals you of all sickness and all disease. And you have been more focused on just the natural stuff than you have the supernatural stuff. And that's the reason that you've got that sickness is because you haven't been thinking in line with God's word. So your thinking is sick. That's true. It's tight, but it's right. I know, see, I'm challenging you. There's a lot of you that your philosophy is you are absolutely wrong. I do not have any control over what happened to me. That's not true. The Bible says, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, the Lord was speaking to Moses or speaking through Moses. And he says, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. God says, I give you the choice. Satan does not have the choice. Satan cannot make you fail. Satan cannot make you do anything. Satan can't do anything without your consent and cooperation. That's what that book on the authority of the believer is talking about. You're the one with the power and the authority and Satan has to deceive you and get you to consent and agree with him before he can accomplish anything in your life. Satan has no power to force any person to do anything. And so God gave you the choice. Satan doesn't have the choice. He isn't the one that controls it. See, again, this is against that extreme sovereignty of God type of teaching that God, just like a pawn, moves your life around. And if you're sick, why did God allow this? You know, they just had the shootings in Aurora, Colorado, and there was 12 people killed and 58, I think, wounded by this guy. And there's already people that I've heard talk about why did God allow this? That is such a stupid question. Forgive me for asking, for saying that, but that is just stupid. How dumb can you get and still breathe? <laughs> God didn't allow that. God doesn't control things like that. People who say, why did God allow this? They have such a wrong philosophy that their whole life is screwed up. If you think that God controls things like that, you are wrong. And yet the religious realm is probably the biggest propagator of that lie. You won't hear the lost people. You won't hear the secular people start talking about why did God allow this? Only religious people will do that. Religious people are the only ones who will say this tornado, this hurricane is the judgment of God. The secular world won't say that. That's a religious doctrine that stinks and it's wrong. God does not control everything that happens. There's evil in the world. If you want to blame somebody, blame it on the fact that America has been getting further and further and further away from God and from morality. And that's what's allowed stuff like this to happen. There used to be a conscience on the inside of people that even if they lived ungodly, they knew that they were going to stand before God someday and give an answer. And it caused the fear caused them to restrain the amount of sin that they did. You know, there was a Columbine shooting in, uh, I think it was 1990, uh, 2009 or 99, two, 1999. And in Columbine in Littleton, Colorado, they went into a school and killed 13 people, I think it was, and wounded others. And uh, you know why that happened? Because those kids 
When they went in and killed it, they wanted the notoriety and then they killed themselves thinking that they got away and nobody caught them. Did you know that wouldn't have happened if the gospel would have been impacting them and if they would have understood that the moment they die, they're going to stand before their creator and give an answer for the things that they did. That's what's allowed things like this to happen is the fact that our nation is becoming less and less God conscious and we have less and less accountability to God. And people like this guy that went in and killed the people in the uh, show and stuff, he blames other people for all of his bitterness and feels justified in it. He didn't take personal responsibility. That's a philosophy that is being promoted and encouraged. Psychology is coming along and saying nobody is responsible for anything. You aren't responsible for being fat anymore. It's in your genes. You can't help it. There are some of you (laughs) sitting right here who are offended by what I'm saying and you're saying it's not my fault. I can't help it. You can help it. I had a woman ask me tonight, said, how did you lose weight? And I said, I guarantee you, you eat half of what you eat Just take whatever, take your dessert, take your pies, take whatever, eat your fatty foods, eat anything and just cut it in half and eat half as much as you used to eat and do everything else the same and you'll lose weight. It'll work. I I just can't help it. I look at food and gain weight. That's not true. That's a wrong philosophy. I can't help what I eat. That's a lie. I assume everybody in here is an adult and it's been years, decades since somebody spoon fed you. Everything that you put in your mouth, you put it there. You chose to eat it. If you're overweight, you chose to be overweight. And you say, I do not, I do not like, you may not like it. You may not want to be overweight, but you chose to do the things that make you overweight. But you know what? There's a philosophy that, no, it's not my fault. It's not my fault if I do something. People say, but I was drunk. I couldn't control myself. You're the one that chose to get drunk. You're responsible for what you do while you're drunk. Amen. You know what? I could empty this place if I just keep going because people don't like this. It's attractive to people to, to say that you don't understand. I'm a jerk because of this person. <laughs> and other people could be, they could aggravate you, but you know what? They don't make you who you are. This whole thing, this whole philosophy that you're just a product of your environment comes from people who don't believe in God, who believe that we're just evolved animals And that it's total environment that makes you the way you are. And that's not true. You can take statistics and take identical twins with the exact same DNA, the same parents, the same environment, and they'll go in different directions. You can bring siblings up in the same home where there was an alcoholic father or mother and one will become an alcoholic and the other will be a teetotaler and go the other direction because of the damage that they saw. And yet they have the same DNA pool. They have the same environment. It is not what happens to you on the outside. It's how you process that. The way it affects your thinking as you think in your heart. That's the way that you are. And your life is going the direction that it's going because of the way you think. 
Other people may have come into your life and given you an opportunity to get off track and to make mistakes, but it's the way you think that caused you to get off the track. Not what other people have done to you. And I know people don't like that because you're saying, you're saying it's my fault. Yep, that's what I'm saying. And people don't like that. But I tell you, as long as somebody else is responsible for making you the mess that you are, then you can never change. Because it's not you, it's other people. And so what you're going to do is you're going to try and change society. And you're going to make the rest of society make you the person that you're supposed to be. That's wrong. See, this is a philosophy. People are thinking that it's up to everybody else to pay for my insurance. It's up to everybody else to pay and make me do this and do all these things. That's just a wrong philosophy. It is an ungodly philosophy. If I had time, I'm, I'm hitting on a lot of things tonight. If I had time, I could show you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that comes against these types of philosophy. This philosophy that causes people to buy a lottery ticket I'm just getting real personal tonight, aren't I? (laughs) But did you know I could show you right now at least a dozen scriptures that show that wealth gotten quickly is ungodly. To get something for nothing is an ungodly principle. And if you do get it, it says it takes away the life of the owners thereof. But in all work, there is benefit and profit. But to get something for nothing is an ungodly principle. I can show you a dozen scriptures that if you are buying lottery tickets, you're doing an ungodly thing. Does that mean that God hates you? No, that's not what I'm saying. He's not mad at you, but I'm saying it's not a Christian philosophy. And some of you are praying that God will fix the lottery. You're praying and asking God for the right numbers. Let me ask you, how's that working? It hadn't worked yet. And you know what? It'll never work because God will never fix the lottery for you. God will never make that happen. It's an ungodly concept. It's ungodly for you to get money for not working. And yet so much of our welfare system and other things are dependent upon this concept. It's an ungodly concept. Second Thessalonians chapter three, I think it's around verse 10, somewhere around there says, if you don't work, don't eat. That's a Christian philosophy. Now, everybody can use help at times. I'm not saying that you don't help other people and that if people are in a bind, you don't help them. But I'm saying it ought to be tied to helping them, not subsidizing them and giving them something for nothing. When we have people that come and they need money, we'll put them to work and then we'll go buy them food or buy them a hotel or do something. But we don't just give something for nothing. You know, we minister in a lot of third world countries and we have learned this firsthand that there are reasons why other nations are poor. And some people think, well, it's just because they haven't had the advantages of America. No, man. I really was wanting to go other places, but you know, I, I'm, I hit a nerve, I think, and I'm just going to stick on this for a little bit. But you know what? America isn't just lucky. It's not just circumstances. It didn't just happen. It is our Christian foundation, our morals, 
our moral code that caused this nation to be blessed. The fact that we have given more away than any other nation in the history of the world. There is a reason why we have so much prosperity. We have put scriptural principles to practice and there is a reason why this nation is prosperous and there's a reason why other nations are not prosperous. We have offices in many nations. We have schools and we go over there. And did you know one of the worst things you can do in some of these third world countries is give the people money. And yet this is what a lot of people do. You know, there was a thing on the internet recently. I I forget the details, which is fine because I'm not against any person. I'm not trying to criticize them. But they came out and showed uh, sex sex trafficking uh, problems in one of these nations and they, uh, this thing went viral and they took up millions, millions and millions and millions of dollars because people's hearts were touched and they wanted to help this. But it turned out, it came out that only like, uh, 20 cents or less of every dollar went to what they were talking about. And the rest went to the people that raised all that money. And yet there were tens of millions of dollars came in and there might've been $1 million go to the problem. And even the money that they gave to the problem, they just threw money at the problem. Give these people that are struggling like this money. That doesn't solve anything. You know, in Uganda, we had a bunch of things come up. I won't give the detail, but we have learned that the worst thing you can do is start just shelling out money because those people think that Americans are God. They look to Americans instead of to God and they come thinking that we've got all of the money and I guarantee you, you can draw people around you, but they've got ulterior motives and things like this. The best thing we can do for those people is not give them money, but to preach the gospel to them and teach them why we prosper and why they don't prosper. There's reasons why those nations aren't prosperous because they steal nearly everything that comes in. Lots of money goes to highways and very little bit goes to building the highways. It goes to the corruption. You have to steal. You have to barter. There's different prices for Americans versus anybody else because they don't have integrity and they will steal you blind if they get the chance. And people disassociate that and say, well, they're they're just a poor oppressed people and that's the reason. No, they are poor and oppressed because of their moral standard and conduct. And I know many of you aren't going to like what I'm saying and you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. (laughs) I'm telling you, we've learned that the best thing to do is to teach those people a godly way of living. And if they will start living by godly moral principles and they start giving and doing the right things, they will prosper. And we've got examples of it. We've got people over there that are just prospering and things are working. You aren't helping a person when you give them a handout. You aren't changing their philosophy that caused them to be in that lack and inadequacy in the first place. Now, I'm not saying that you don't ever help people. I give away lots of money. I give away lots of money. Uh, Ambassadors to the nations, we're going to have them share with you. And they support how many? Thousands of children in Nicaragua, Mexico, and different places. I give a lot of money. I do things, but I do it only if it can be given in a responsible way and teaches people the gospel and helps them. But I would never just throw money at something because you're actually helping them. 
We had people come to our Bible school who worked in the Springs Rescue Mission, which our Bible school started the Springs Rescue Mission. And it is now the number one distributor of food. They've served over a million and a half meals in the last few years. They are the number one distributor of furniture in Colorado Springs. They did more to help the fire victims than anybody else. It is a powerful organization. But one of the guys who worked in the Springs Rescue Mission came to our Bible school and I was saying things along these lines. And he told me that the average panhandler in Colorado Springs, this is 10 years ago, the average panhandler in Colorado Springs makes over $300 per day. Many of them live in mansions, drive Mercedes, but they put on these old clothes and they go panhandle because they take advantage of people. And even the people who really need the money, you aren't helping them by giving them the money because there is a reason that they are in that situation and all you're doing is subsidizing them. That's absolutely true. I know many of you disagree and stuff, but I'm saying based on scripture, as a man thinks in his heart, that's the way that he is. If you want change like a worm changes to a butterfly, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and on and on and on. I could go with scriptures. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, your life is the way that it is because of the way you think. As a man thinks in his heart, that's the way that he is. Look at this passage over in 2 Peter chapter 1. Here's another scripture to reinforce this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know that first verse right here? I could preach on this for an hour and a half about a different philosophy than most of us have. There are powerful truths right here. It says you have obtained already. You've already got it. Like precious faith. If you look that up in the Greek, it means identical. Identical down to the last molecule. Identical faith. Most of us don't have that philosophy. Most of us, we believe faith works. You just don't think you have enough of it. So you're all the time asking God, oh God, please increase my faith. Oh God, give me more faith. This says that he's writing to people who have already obtained like precious faith, exactly the same faith that Peter had. Peter had enough faith that his shadow walked by and touched people and they got healed by his shadow falling on them. Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. Peter walked on the water. You have that like precious faith, identical, exact faith. And some people say, well, I've got it, but mine's baby form. It hasn't grown. See, again, that's not what the scripture teaches. That's what religion teaches. But your faith is already complete. And some of you are thinking, not mine. You don't know me. You don't know you. You're judging on the outside. You don't know who you are in the spirit. That's what that book on spirit, soul, and body is all about. But I'm telling you, this is radical statements right here. You have the exact same faith that Peter had. And if any of you think, well, I don't either, you're going to maintain your philosophy instead of what the Bible says. Well, then just tear 2 Peter out of your book, Bible, because he said he's writing to those that have like precious faith. If that's not you, then none of the rest of this applies to you. Amen? He says you have like precious faith 
And how did it come? Through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, not because you deserved it, not because you've done everything right. It's a gift. It's a gift. Man, I could preach on that for hours, but this is radical stuff. And most people don't think this way. And that's the reason you don't have the same results that Peter had. Because you don't believe like Peter believed. You don't think like Peter believed. It's not because Peter had something else. See, religion today teaches that all those early apostles, they had something that we don't have. God doesn't work in miracles anymore. These things passed away with the apostles. That's a philosophy. That is a way of looking at things and it's wrong. And if you have that philosophy and if you put Peter in a different category, well, then you aren't going to get the same results. And you might as well just tear Second Peter out of your book Bible because he says, I'm writing to those who have like precious faith, identical faith with me. If that's not you, then you can't get any of the results. You need to adopt his way of thinking. And then he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace is multiplied unto you through knowledge, not through prayer, not through having somebody lay hands on you, not through being good, not through earning it, not through living right and doing this and this and this. Your grace and your peace is directly related to the way you think. It's through knowledge. That's just as simple as you can get it. You have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand that. (laughs) If you don't have peace in your life, you don't have the right knowledge. And yet there's some of you will say, but you don't understand. I've got a chemical imbalance. (laughs) Your chemical imbalance isn't the problem. It's your lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. You are perishing because of a lack of knowledge. What you don't know is killing you. Grace and peace comes through knowledge, not through prayer, not through actions, not through having somebody else wave their hand over you. You've got to renew your mind. If you had the same philosophy that the apostle Paul had, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's even better for me to die and to go to be with the Lord. If you had that philosophy, if you had his worldview, his paradigm way of looking at things, Then when the doctor tells you you're going to die, you wouldn't fall apart like a $2 suitcase. Man, you'd reach up and just kiss the guy and say, this is awesome. For me to die is gain. But most of you, if somebody tells you you're going to die, fear hits you and worry and all of these things. You know why? Because of the way you think. If you thought like the apostle Paul, Man, you'd, you'd not be bothered by it. And you'd say, Father, this is great. If I win, I win. And if I lose, I win. I can't lose for winning. I think I'll believe you and get a testimony and rub the devil's nose in it. And if for some reason I didn't get well, praise God, I'm going to go be with you. And you would just be happy and rejoicing. And I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. <laughs> I think your philosophy where we act like that this life is all that there is. If we knew how awesome heaven was, we wouldn't be so worried about all of the stuff that we're worried about. The reason the apostle Paul could not be intimidated is because he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter one, I believe it's around verse 21. You know, how do you intimidate a guy like that? They say, quit preaching the gospel or we'll kill you. And he goes, awesome. 
And they say, well, we'll stick you in prison. And he goes, I'll just sing praises at midnight and praise God for how good he is and see an earthquake come and all of the jailers get saved. And they say, well, then we're going to kick you out of the jail. And he says, fine, I go preach the gospel. How do you intimidate a person who's already dead? Man. And yet the Bible says we're all supposed to be dead unto ourselves. You know why we are so fearful and it bothers us so much what somebody thinks about us? Because you aren't dead. Because your life is more important to you than the gospel. Because what people think about you is more important than what Jesus thinks about you. And on and on and on I could go. You know what all of those are? Those are philosophies. You've got a way of thinking. You think that your, the, your opinion, the, uh, your reputation is one of the most important things. And it's not. Man, it's all about Jesus and loving him. If you ever fell in love with him and understood how much he loved you, you just wouldn't get to, you just get to a place where it really doesn't matter so much what everybody else thinks. You know, I, nobody likes rejection. I don't like rejection. If you like rejection, something's wrong with you. God made man for fellowship. There is something inside of every person that wants acceptance. So I think something's wrong with you if you like rejection. I don't like rejection, but you know what? I have come to have a relationship with Jesus and I know that Jesus loves me so much and that's so important to me that I will obey him and say what he tells me to say. And if that rubs you the wrong way, I don't like your rejection, but it's not going to keep me up tonight because you just aren't that important. I had a man come to me one time and just start reading me the riot act and telling me all these things I was supposed to be doing. And I just stopped right in the middle and I said, Hey, who died and made you God? And he just looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, why do I care what you think? Well, you should care what I think. And I said, compared to God, you're nothing. I said, I just don't give a rip about your opinion. Who cares what you think? You know why it bothers you so much about what everybody else thinks is because you don't, you haven't found the acceptance and the security that comes of knowing that God himself is pleased with you. Once you get that philosophy and you begin to look at life through this acceptance with God, then you become bold as a lion. Proverbs 28, 1, the righteous are bold as a lion. When you know your right position with God, you become bold as a lion. Who cares? Because God, you obey God. And if they cost you your life, if they kill you, you go immediately to be with him. And he's going to say, well done and give you a crown for enduring the suffering and You win, you win, you lose, you win. It just changes the way people live. I have already countered 20, 30, 40 philosophies tonight that most people have that are contrary to what scripture says. And so this says grace and peace comes through the knowledge of him. If you knew how much God loved you and what he has prepared for you, and that even if you never saw your healing in this life, you are going to be healed forever where sickness and disease cannot come against you. If you never saw prosperity in this life, you're going to live in a mansion and on streets paved with gold. And if you had that philosophy and were thinking according to this knowledge You can rejoice even if you didn't see healing come to pass, even if you didn't see prosperity come to pass. If nothing ever worked in this life, your future is so bright, you got to squint to look at it. 
and you could rejoice and praise God if you had a Christian biblical philosophy. Amen. You can look at the affairs of this world and it looks like, man, everything is falling apart and weird things are happening. It's all prophesied in the word. And you know what you could, it says when you see all of these signs, what are those signs? Earthquakes, pestilence, hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, whatever, all of the disaster. When you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up and rejoice for your redemption draws nigh. If you had a Christian philosophy, you could be saying these are the birth pains. Man, we are getting close to Jesus coming back and you could get excited reading the headlines like, man, this is the end times right in front of my eyes. But that's not how most all aboard. That was very good. I like that. But you know what? This is not how most Christians think. Most Christians get into fear because they think with a humanistic mindset that this is all that there is. And they see this security and these things happening. And you don't realize that this life is not all that there is. There's more. See, if you have that Christian philosophy, it changes everything. And it gives you peace. Grace and peace comes through knowing the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John chapter eight, verse 32. It's only the truth you know that makes you free. Truth doesn't make you free. It's only the truth you know that makes you free. If you don't know it, it won't make you free. If you are stressed out and in turmoil and worried and fearful and depressed and in bondage, it's because you don't have the right knowledge. You aren't thinking on the right things. Your philosophy is wrong. And then in the next verse, it says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things. You know, in the Greek, you know what that word means? It means all things. (laughs) He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's not talking about only the spiritual part of your life, but life, just everything, your health, your joy, your peace, your finances, your ability to bless other people, to relate anything. All things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. The average Christian doesn't have this philosophy. They think all things comes through prayer, through begging God, through believing God, through getting a thousand people to agree and lay hold of God and not let go until God comes out. And we force God and we make this. No, it just comes through the knowledge of God. You renew your mind and as you think in your heart, that's the way you will be. If you need healing in your body, get hold of the word of God. Start meditating on the word and Proverbs chapter four, I believe it's around verse 22 says that the word of God is health unto all of your flesh. Psalms 107, 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them of all of their destruction. And on and on I could go with those scriptures. If you have sickness in your body, take the word of God, renew your mind, think according to what the word says that by his stripes you were healed. First Peter 2, 24 and you begin to think that way. And as you think in your heart, that's the way that you'll be. And yet most Christians will sit there and pray and ask God for healing, 
But then they'll go to the internet and look up all of the symptoms and what's going to be the result. And they'll listen to their Aunt Susie talk about, oh, Uncle Henry died of that exact same thing. And you'll listen to this and you'll see yourself suffering and going through this. And then you'll wonder, why isn't my prayer being answered? It's not prayer that heals. It's the word of God. Now, if you pray the word of God, that can heal. But I'm saying as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He sends his word and healed him. I guarantee you, you take the word of God and Romans chapter eight, verse six says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You put that together with John 6, 63, and that verse says, Jesus was speaking and he says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is spirit. So to be spiritually minded means to be word minded. You think according to the word of God, now go back to Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, word minded is life and peace. All that word mindedness, all that thinking, uh, having a philosophy according to the word, the only thing it can produce is life and peace. If you've got something other than life and peace operating in your life, you've been thinking something other than what the word of God says. You know, if I wanted to see what you planted in your garden, I don't have to be there when you plant it. All I got to do is be there when something starts growing and I can tell you what you planted. If you've got peas and corn and okra growing in your garden, you planted them or somebody planted them. They grow from seeds. And if you've got sickness and depression and discouragement and bitterness and failure in your life, you planted those seeds or you let somebody else plant them in you. Things don't grow that weren't planted. Your life is a result of of things that have been planted in you, either by yourself or other people. And you're responsible for what other people have to say. You don't have to go by that. You don't have to listen to this junk. Every television set, radio that I've ever seen had an on and off knob on it. You can control that. You're responsible for what you hear. Somebody says, well, that doesn't bother me. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, don't be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you're saying that you can watch junk and it doesn't affect you, you're deceived. You've either, everything that's coming up in your life, you either planted it there or you allowed other people to plant it there, which means you're still responsible. You're, you're responsible for taking care of your thought life and what comes to you and you didn't police it. You didn't watch over it. And so if you want to change, change the way you think, change your philosophy, base your opinions on what God's word says. And this third verse, second Peter chapter one, verse three says, according to the knowledge. And you know what the knowledge of God is in the next verse in verse four, it says, whereby talking about this knowledge is given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This Bible is the impartation of God's knowledge, God's way of viewing things, God's way of looking at things. This is the knowledge of God. If you want to know what God's opinion is, 
Go to the word of God and study it with an open mind and heart and let God give you his opinion. And yet I go back to one of the things I said at the very beginning tonight. Most of us had a philosophy, a worldview, a paradigm, a way of thinking instilled in us before we got born again, before we came to the Lord. And we let that influence everything. You know, David, hardest to hear that was passing out the books tonight, was talking to one of our board members over in England. And he was asking him about some of the political things. And this guy says, well, I've always voted this way. And David said, why? And he says, well, my dad voted that way. And he says, we've just always been associated with this political party. And he says, but have you ever examined it? No. He was just that because that's the way that it was. There are many of you that were raised in the identical thing. Your parents were a Democrat or Republican or whatever, and that's what you are, and you've never examined it. Does it line up with the Word of God? Let me just tell you, neither one of them line up with the Word of God. But we're in a situation where you have to pick the lesser of two evils. But you know what? You ought to take everything, your political stance, your view on whatever it is, And does it match up with the Word of God? What does the Word of God has to say? And you ought to form your philosophy based on God's Word. And yet many of us, this is the way it's been done for generations. Let me just ask you, how's that been working for your generations? I think many of you would have to admit that, man, there's been a lot of problems in your family tree. We need to go to God's Word. This is imperative the way you think. And sad to say, there are people probably sitting right here in this room that you are afraid to just say, let Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and let your family tree, your family members, your aunts, your uncles, your professors, your mentors, the people that have done this, let God's word be true and everything else a lie. There's a lot of you that are afraid to do that because you know in your heart it may not hold up. And you have a spiritual life and a carnal life. And you don't want to intrude. You don't want the Bible shedding light on some of your values. You don't want to live that way. I'm telling you, it's the best way. God didn't say these things to hurt you or to take away from you. He did it because God is the one that created us. This is like an owner's manual. If you want to know how to make something work right, you ought to read the owner's manual. It needs proper maintenance. It needs, you know, uh, periodic maintenance and it needs all of these different kind of things. And sad to say, the reason our life is so out of whack is because we have not followed the owner's manual. We aren't thinking the way that God made us to think. We get way off and we're into things that God never intended for us to think. And as you think in your heart, that's the way that you are. So I've said all of this tonight, basically to introduce this topic. This is all introduction. And I'm going to get in tomorrow morning into talking about what is specific Christian philosophy about certain things. And I'm going to deal with uh, spiritual things about how we should view things concerning our relationship with the Lord. 
But then I'm also going to talk about some secular things, some current events. And I know that a lot of people think, well, a minister has no business talking about any of these things. Let's just stick to the spiritual things. No, the Bible has an opinion about everything and ministers and, and believers are the only ones who are really qualified to speak out on moral issues. We don't need to leave that to the unbelievers. The unbelievers would be thrilled to have all Christians just retreat to inside our four walls and never uh, offer an opinion about anything moral. And that's what they're trying to, to cow us into. And that's wrong. And so we need to have a Christian philosophy about current issues, about current affairs, secular issues. And so I'm going to delve into some of those. Some of you may like it. Some of you might not like it, but praise God. I think that we need to say it. So I encourage you. I've got an old teaching out there entitled Christian philosophy, part one. And that's all about spiritual theological issues. Part two is about uh, social issues. And we've got a brand new book coming out. When Jim? First part of September. We got a brand new book coming out called, um, Christian philosophy, and it's going to have charts, graphs. Uh, it's going to be more like a reference book where it has uh, statistics and charts and all these kind of things, and it'll be different than an, any other teaching that I've ever done. And I think it's going to really be beneficial to the body of Christ. It'll be like a, a, for those of you who have a Christian philosophy and you just need some ammunition to be able to defend what you've got, this will provide you with that ammunition. I think it's going to be a real blessing. And I just got through making two or three months worth of television programs on this that'll be airing starting, I think, in September. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's going to really be good, and I encourage you to check it out. Amen? So I didn't get to my charts and graphs tonight. That's what I brought my computer up for. I know the Word. It's in my heart, but these charts and graphs aren't in my heart, and so I have to refer to my computer for those. But maybe tomorrow morning we'll get into some of that. And it'll be a blessing to you. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for these truths. Father, I pray, just like the Apostle Paul said, that we would be on guard, that no man would spoil and steal from us what you've given us through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Father, I pray that the things that I've said here tonight, that the Holy Spirit would take them and it would make people on guard, that they would recognize that we've all been fed lies and traditions and doctrines of men, philosophies that are contrary to the Word of God. And Father, I pray that every person in here would humble themselves before you and ask you to shine the light on any attitudes, any philosophies in our life that are contrary to what your word teaches and that we would submit ourselves regardless of how much the tradition goes back in our family or in our area, that we would let the word of God rule and dominate. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that the Holy Spirit is just causing that to come to pass in people's lives right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Right now, I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you and there's areas of your life that you know are out of whack and you have just 
refuse to deal with it. It's like you got a door closed to that area and say off limits even to God. God is wanting you to open up every part of your life. Let every attitude, every value system that you have come under the scrutiny of the Word of God. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through me to somebody here tonight. And I'm just asking you to respond to God. You'll be better off because of it. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. You'll be better off yielding to His way of thinking than your way of thinking. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I believe that the Holy Spirit is dealing with people and bringing us to those decisions. And we thank you for it. We receive the Word of God tonight. And I believe it's going to make a difference in our lives, that we are being set free. And Father, for those who are experiencing things in their life different than what your Word promises, I pray that they would tonight start taking the Word of God like a seed and planting it in their life and letting the proper fruit grow from it. Praise you, Jesus. We believe that this is going to make a difference in people's lives, and we agree and thank you for doing that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, let me ask here tonight that the very, there's two decisions that every person in here needs to make. Beyond that, it starts getting more specific. Some of us are called to do different things, but every person in here, the Lord wants every single person in here to be born again, to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's different than just acknowledging that He exists. It says in James 2, 19, do you believe that there's one God? You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? That's a very sarcastic statement saying, do you believe that there's a God? You hadn't done anything that the devil hadn't done. You got to do more than that. You must be born again. You have to humble yourself and make Jesus your Lord. That's what it says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So you have to confess Jesus as your Lord. That doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect because you can't fulfill that, but you have to turn your life over and say, I want you to be Lord. I want you to rule my life. I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm leaning on you and not my own goodness. And if you haven't ever done that tonight, you need to do that. Every person who has not done that needs to do that. You must be born again is what Jesus said. You cannot enter into heaven until you have been born from above, received a new nature. And then once you get born again, Jesus told his disciples who were already born again and trusted in him. He says, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Don't talk to anyone until you receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he said in Acts 1, 8, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses. And so in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, it says in Acts 2, 4, that they all spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So once you get born again, every true born again believer needs to speak in tongues. And you know, I know that that's disappointing to some people because again, religion teaches that this is all wrong and that this is weird. And many of you came here not knowing that I speak in tongues because I'm not a typical Pentecostal. I don't scream and shout and spit, wipe my fevered brow and say glory to God. 
And some of you just didn't know what you was getting into. But I guarantee you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, changed my life. I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues about every day of my life. It's important. It gives you power. It makes a huge difference. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't believe you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. I don't either. I believe you can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you can get there quicker if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because you aren't going to have your mind renewed. And you aren't going to have power. And you will let something kill you along the way. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, but why would you want to? I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues is awesome. It changes your life. Amen. It's just like Jesus said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Some of you are born again, but you don't have power. You feel powerless. I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a life changer. So every person in here needs to be born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you don't have one or both of those, I'd like to pray with you here tonight. Is there anybody who would raise your hand and say, I need one or both of those? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so that I can say, we're going to pray with you and we're going to help you to receive. Anybody else? If that's you, be bold. I know somebody's probably thinking, what are you going to do? I don't have a church for you to join. So you can't join me. I'm going to give you a free book and we're going to pray with you. So you got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive. Come forward right now and let us pray with you. Look at all these folks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if you wouldn't mind, I'm, uh, our guys are trying to ask you to spread out like this instead of stand behind each other. And the reason being, we're going to have people come up here and lay hands on you. And it helps if you are in one line uh, like this rather than all bundled together up here. So if you if you would, please try and cooperate with that because we want to have people come up here and lay hands on you. The Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. And so we're going to pray for you, but they're actually going to lay hands on you and impart the power of the Holy Spirit into you. So that's the reason we're asking you to spread out. Praise God. This is awesome. All right, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, the Bible says that you have to first of all receive Jesus as your personal Savior. It says Jesus is the one who gives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anyone up here who's not absolutely certain that you have already made Jesus your Lord. We need to pray with you first and you need to receive. You know, there may be people up here who say, but I, I believe that there's a God. I've already talked about that. So does the devil. 
Well, I go to church. I'm a good person. That doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage would make you a car. If you're a car, you ought to get in a garage for your own protection. If you're a Christian, you ought to go to church. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's all about your personal relationship. If you were to stand before God right now, if we were to all die and just be standing before God, and if he says, what makes you worthy? Why should I let you into heaven? What would you, how would you answer? If you point to anything that you've done and say, well, I'm a good person and I try to do this and I've gone to church and I've paid my tithes, you would go directly to hell. It doesn't matter if you're a better person than I am. The only answer that will get you accepted with God is whether or not you made Jesus your Lord. Have you ever committed your life to him and turned your life over and said, Jesus, I make you my Lord. If you've never done that, you need to do that tonight. Is there anybody who needs to raise your hand and we want to pray with you first before we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can see. Anyone? Everybody here is born again? Here's one right here. Praise God, brother. Awesome. Anybody else? You know, if you're all saved, that's great. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. It's just that there's very few people who really understand salvation. And they're just hoping that they're saved. But they've never really committed their life to the Lord. And so I just don't want anybody to leave with the false sense of salvation. If you don't know for sure that Jesus is your personal Savior, we need to pray and just make sure. You need to pray that prayer and make sure. All right, here's one right here. Let's make sure. Anybody else? Here's a couple of more. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, so I'm going to lead you all in a prayer. You don't have to say the exact words that I say, but you have to say something similar to what I'm saying. I'm saying a prayer based on that scripture I quoted in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And so I would like to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. It's not magic. It's not like if you just say the words, it automatically works. It says you have to believe it in your heart. But if you will believe what I'm going to lead you in saying, then you'll be born again. And you'll know for certain that you're born again. You won't have to wonder about whether you were truly saved. Okay? So I'd like to ask everybody in here to repeat this prayer so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. Say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Welcome. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Amen. That's great. All right. Now, every person up here has professed Jesus as your Lord. And the Bible says that when you do that, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So this is significant because it means that God created every person. These who just got born again are in their spirit. In their body, they're still a male or a female. But in their spirit, they are now the temple of God. God created all of you to be a temple, a dwelling place 
for his Holy Spirit. So the significance of this is that he wouldn't deny any of you the Holy Spirit. This is what you were made for. So I say that just to say that God wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have the Holy Spirit. He's been waiting on this day. So we don't have to beg God. We don't have to plead and and beg Him to come. All you got to do is just like open up the door of your temple and let Him come in. He won't force His way in. This doesn't happen automatically. You have to believe and reach out and receive it. So that's all we're going to do is just open up the doors of our heart and welcome the Holy Spirit and expect Him to come in. And if you will do that in faith, I guarantee you, you're going to receive this power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers, if they would, to come up here. And after I pray for you, then these prayer ministers are going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. This is how it happened in the Bible. So we're going to follow that same example. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and then they're going to lay hands on you and pray for you and release this power into your life. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God for the Holy Spirit. There's a time to ask, but then you got to believe that he heard you and answered. So after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking and instead take a step of faith and start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing, but I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people have an emotional experience. Other people, it's just a step of faith. You aren't asking for a goose bump. We aren't asking for a feeling. This is something that we're believing God for and you just believe that it happens. And then the Bible says that when they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke with other tongues. And I've got a book that I'm gonna give every one of you that will explain this and it'll answer your questions and it'll help you. But let me just say one thing, the number one thing that hinders people from speaking in tongues immediately, this was my experience, was they wait on the Holy Spirit to force them to speak in tongues. They just open up their mouth and wait on the Lord to make it move. That's not how speaking in tongues is. It says they spoke with tongues. Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the inspiration. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He doesn't force you and make it happen. You speak and by faith believe it's the Holy Spirit. It's very similar to when I preach tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. I asked God to speak through me, but I didn't just say, oh God, speak through me and then open up my mouth and stick my tongue out and wait on the Lord to make me talk. I spoke. It was me talking. That's the reason it came out in Texan. But you know what? I believe it was inspired by God. Speaking in tongues is that way. If you just wait on God to force you to speak in tongues, you won't speak in tongues. He won't force you but he will inspire you. You'll have the desire. And as you start speaking, it may sound like gibberish to you and you may think that doesn't sound like a language. I've actually heard languages that are nothing but clicks of the tongue and it's a known language. There's one language on the earth that's nothing but whistles. Wycliffe translators had to translate the Bible into whistles. That's a known language on the earth. 
know what? Don't try and evaluate what you think it sounds like. It's like when a baby talks. It may not be perfect at first, but I guarantee you that parent knows what that kid's trying to say, and they are thrilled. Your father is going to hear you trying to speak and make sounds that you've never been taught, and he's going to be pleased with your heart. And he'll inhabit your praises. And then when you get over the newness of it and quit listening to yourself, you'll find out it just flows out of you. And I've got this book that will explain it. But that's the number one thing I think that hinders people. They just wait on God to make them speak in tongues. That's not how it works. You have to choose to speak in tongues. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I pray for all of these right now. And thank you for these who prayed and made sure that they are born again. We believe that we are all now the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you created us for this. And so we open up the doors of our temple and Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. We want your power. We want this ability to speak in tongues and bypass our brain and pray out of our born again spirits. We want your power. So we open up our lives and welcome you to come in right now in Jesus' mighty name. We lay hands on you now in the name of Jesus and we release this power. Holy Spirit, we loose you into these lives. We release this supernatural power to come into us, the gifts of the Spirit to flow into these people. And Father, we thank you and believe that right now they are being filled with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to begin to thank God. Let's put your hands up like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. Let's stick your hands up and go, Jesus, I thank you that I have received the Holy Spirit, that I am now God-possessed. Thank you for your power. Talk out loud. Talk and thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you that know how to speak in tongues, let's begin to start speaking in tongues. Because the Bible says that when you speak in tongues, you are giving thanks well. So I want all of us who have the baptism of the Holy Spirit begin to start thanking God and speaking in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be different. It'll be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else, but if you try and say what somebody else is saying, it'll get you to talking. And once you start making noises, don't quit. Just keep going. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and talk. You can't talk in tongues in English or any known language at the same time. You're going to have to speak in, in language that you don't know. The Bible says when you're speaking in tongues, you're giving thanks. You're praising God. God inhabits the praises of his people. You're bypassing your brain. You're praying out of your born again spirit. You're missing all of the confusion, all of the doubt, the unbelief. And you're praying out of the part of you that is perfect. The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you edify yourself. You build yourself up on your most holy faith. 
I tell you, it encourages you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for filling all of these with your power. Thank you, Father, for the anointing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me have your attention here for a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You just ask and God gave you the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you need to go ahead and speak in tongues. If you didn't speak in tongues, there was a lot speaking in tongues, but I don't know if every single person spoke in tongues, but even if you didn't speak in tongues, I believe God gave the Holy Spirit to you. When I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. It was three and a half years before I spoke in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I had been told that this was of the devil and I was afraid that I was going to get something from the devil. But you know what? I finally got all my questions answered. I've written a book about this and it will also share what true salvation is about. And then it has a second part is about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And I tell you, nobody had more problems speaking in tongues than I did. But I finally got all of my questions answered and I speak in tongues a lot. And so everything I know about it is in this book. And I'd like to give every one of you a copy of this book because it really is important that you understand what's happening. Some of you may have felt something, which is great, but if you didn't, that didn't mean that you didn't get it. You just need, it's according to the knowledge. You get the knowledge of what the Bible says and put it into practice. And I guarantee you, you will start seeing a brand new power of God operating in your life. So you've got to get the full benefit of it. Amen. This is Robert right here, the man that's got his Bible up, waving it. And if you would follow Robert, he's going to give you a book. And there's also people that will pray with you and help you if you have any questions. So if you would, just follow Robert for just a few moments and he'll give you a free book. Isn't that good? Let's praise God for all of these. Thank you, Jesus. Man, that's awesome. That's wonderful. I don't know how many that was, but it was a bunch. You know what? If all of them received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you that'd make a huge, huge difference. Not only in their lives, but in all of the lives that they influence. Thank you, Jesus. Man, we've had a lot of people already leave. You know, these are our prayer ministers. And these people have been through a training session. These, many of these are Bible college students. You know, Maria down here, Maria Spearhawk, the one who's got her hand up. She was in a wheelchair just how many years ago, Maria? Five years ago at our, it wasn't it at our Boston meeting? She was in a wheelchair with, was it multiple sclerosis? What was it? Bulging disc. She said it was several things. But anyway, she was in a wheelchair. 
spinal stenosis, sciatica, all kinds of stuff. And anyway, God has healed her. They came through our Bible school. And so um, what I'm trying to say is all of these people down here are people that have seen the power of God operate in their life. And we are offering them to you Uh, to pray with you and help you. Some people think I'm the one that has to pray with you, but that's not true. And these people are well qualified. Al and Angie Burke here have both been miraculously healed. It's only been a few years that Al was just crushed, nearly that he was supposed to never walk again. And here he is healed. And they see miracles happen all the time. So anyway, if you need prayer or ministry of any kind, I'd like to give you an opportunity right now to come And let one of our prayer ministers just lay hands on you and agree with you and believe God for a miracle. If you need prayer, just get up right now and come forward and we want you to let one of our prayer ministers agree with you. We've got people standing at the aisles and they're going to direct you towards a prayer minister so that everybody just won't come and stand in front of one person or something. So please follow their directions. But if you need prayer right now, I'd like to ask you to come. The rest of you, if you wait just a minute, Uh, I'll let you go. But we do have CDs and DVDs of tonight's service already made out there. And you can get those. And uh, we've got all of these other products. Also, I'll be here praying and I'll be leading us in prayer. And many times we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and call out miracles. And so you're welcome to stay and pray with us. But if you need to go, you're dismissed. And if you need prayer, come and let one of our prayer ministers just agree with you and pray. And then tomorrow we'll be back at 10 a.m., 7 p.m. And then on Saturday we'll be here at 10 a.m. and also at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. is the evening service on Saturday. Praise God. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we just agree with all of these right now and thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, they have already been healed. That you've already done it and that you placed on the inside of every one of us the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Father, we aren't just begging you to move. We believe you've already moved. We believe that you've already put this power on the inside of us. And so we take our authority. And you said death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we release life with our tongue. We release healing. We speak death to sickness and to disease, to cancer, to heart problems, to high blood pressure problems, to sugar diabetes, to anything else. Satan, we just rebuke you. We command you to loose these people. And to let them go, we release the supernatural healing power of God to flow through us and into them and speak healing over these bodies. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We believe that right now fear is broken over people in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for faith rising and fear fleeing right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, speaking to me right now about somebody that has a hip problem. Could be somebody that's down here, but any of you out here have a hip problem? There's 
If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can see who you are. If you got a hip problem, here's the Lord healing somebody's hip. Right there's a lady over here. Anyone else? Here's one back here. Father, in the name of Jesus, towards these two ladies, I just release your supernatural healing power right now. And whatever is wrong with these hips, I release a supernatural healing. Father, for bone to be created, cartilage to be created, whatever is necessary, anything that's out of a line, I just speak your supernatural healing power into them. And hips, you be healed. Now, I command pain to be gone. Praise God. I believe that right there is your pain leaving. Father, I thank you that all pain leaves right now. Thank you that their movement is coming back. Father, if there's a leg that's short, I believe that you lengthen these legs. Whatever it takes, we just loose your supernatural healing power to flow through them. And we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing power. Praise God. Stand up right now, you two ladies. Stand up and begin to move around. Do what you didn't feel like doing. Did you have any pain before we prayed? This lady did not. Did you have pain before we prayed? Do you have any pain now? You still got pain? Nope, the pain's gone. Man, begin to move and do things. I believe that both of you are healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these healings. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Father, we just receive it.